Well, praise God that the Lord is our shepherd. There have been times in my life, there have been moments in my life when I try to take the reins and take this shepherding business into my own hands, only to realize that life is best lived, lived under the, God's direction, uh, God's protection, God's provision, God's guidance. When the winds blow, uh, when the lion comes, that's really when our weaknesses and our powerlessness and really our foolishness get exposed. I love the words of Psalm 127, which opens up like this, one of the Psalms of Ascent. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it that there's a lot of anxiety in a life that's lived where the Lord is not in charge. And that true rest comes from when we surrender our will to the will of the Father, to the will of the shepherd. Uh, It's the Lord Jesus, after all, who said, as we heard on Wednesday evening when we were watching The Chosen, that invitation, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Well, this morning you may come here needing rest. You may come here carrying a burden that is beyond you. A burden that you were not meant to carry. And this morning it might be time to take that burden and give it to the one who can carry it. To give it to the shepherd. That really is the beauty of prayer. When we come to the Father in prayer, uh, what we do is we, we offer up our praise, we offer up our adoration, we recognize God's activity in this world and in our lives, but it's also a time where we bring our burdens before God. We lay our burdens at His feet. We say, this is too much to carry, and I'm willing to follow if you would just carry it. And this morning, we have the opportunity to think about prayer, to think about and consider what we prioritize in our prayer lives. Now, we have the whole spectrum of people here this morning who may be at different places in life when it comes to prayer. I would argue that no one really arrives at mastering prayer. Some of you, prayer might be a new thing. If you are a new believer or coming to faith, you might not know how to pray. I would suggest going to the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount as a pattern, as a, as a way of helping you build a prayer and a prayer life. But what do you prioritize in your prayers? Well, here are a few questions, a little self-evaluation. I'll ask the question and then I'll pause a few seconds for you to consider and look back at your prayers, maybe over the last few weeks. Number one. How's your prayer life this morning? How is your rhythm of prayer? Maybe a better way to say that is how is your life of prayer rather than prayer life. But how how is your life of prayer this morning? As you look back over the last few weeks, uh, what dominates the content of your prayers? What do you find yourself praying for over and over again? 
third question. What are your priorities in prayer? What do you prioritize in prayer? Well, as we've done a little self-check, we're going to talk about prayer this morning, specifically missional prayer. Now, we've been working through this series called Missional Spirituality, uh, talking about a very popular concept in today's terms, in today's times, especially here in Austin, Texas, this idea of spirituality, connecting with God, connecting with the transcendent. And perhaps this topic on prayer speaks more to that modern concept than any of these other topics in this series. Uh, we've been using Paul's letter to the Philippians as a conversation partner for missional spirituality, and this is where we've been so far. If we can bring up that screen of the series. We've talked about uh, our behavior, missional holiness. We are a people set apart as saints. Uh, we can call each other saints. Uh, it is actually who we are in Christ. Uh, but we are saints for the sake of the world. And this plays out in our witness as the gospel transforms us from sinners to saints, which flows out in our generosity and missional giving. The final act of grace is to make one gracious. But this morning, we're going to focus on missional prayer, prayer that is shaped by mission. And there's no better passage to go to than Philippians chapter 1. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin in 18b, which means the second half of verse 18. It actually, in most of your translations, will start a new paragraph. Philippians, a very short letter in a series of short letters. 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18b. And by the time we get to this point in the letter, Paul has already offered up his greetings to the church. Uh, he's reported the contents of his prayers. He's given them this word of encouragement about his current circumstances. Paul is in chains and he has a very special relationship with the Philippians and they're worried about him. And so he spends some time in this letter telling them, hey, it's okay. My chains have actually served to advance the gospel uh, the imperial guard, they've heard the gospel. Uh, my chains have emboldened believers to speak without fear. It's given others the chance to proclaim the good news. Some out of pure motives, some out of selfish ambition. It doesn't matter, the gospel is still being preached. And for this, Paul rejoices. But let's pick up in the letter in verse 18b. And I'm going to read out of the New American Standard Bible. But not only that, he's talking about rejoicing. I will also rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. 
But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your pride in Christ Jesus may be abundant because of me by my coming to you again. Uh, May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. I was in prison with Paul at the writing of this letter. I remember that day well. Epaphroditus came to visit and he brought this gift from the church in Philippi. It was most welcome. I heard Paul saying something to Epaphroditus, something along the lines of he really didn't need the gift, how he had learned to be content in all circumstances, and I said under my breath, speak for yourself, Paul. I was not at all rejoicing. In fact, I found Paul's joyful attitude to be a bit annoying here in prison. I'm so sick of these chains. My skin hurts from the weight. My back is always sore. My muscles are atrophied. I'm confined to this small space. I miss walking out in freedom. I miss walking out in the sun and feeling the breeze in my hair. I miss my freedom. I miss not having this all-seeing eye of the guard, always watching me, my every move. I miss privacy. I know that I smell bad. I see it in the faces of the visitors trying to hide the fact that they are repulsed by my stench. I miss my family. I miss a good hot meal. Until Epaphroditus came with the gift, I cannot remember the last good and filling meal that I had since my imprisonment. My stomach makes all kinds of growling noises. I don't hear it anymore. I'm just always hungry. And I hear Paul's stomach growl too. So I don't know what he's talking about when he told Epaphroditus that he's content and that he's rejoicing. But what I really remember about Epaphroditus' visit is Paul's thank you letter. His face lit up and talking about the Philippians, he loved them. He would go on and on about them, how proud he was of this church. He would tell all the stories, the stories about Lydia, the slave girl. And of course, his favorite story was the prison story there in Philippi when he and Silas were in chains. And of course, they were singing, full of joy, when the earthquake happened. And the chains fell off. Now, I, of course, would have seen that as a sign that God was freeing me, that He had supernaturally opened the doors and and made an opportunity for me to escape. But not Paul. No. Paul always had the mission in mind, looking for opportunities to share the gospel. The jailer was moments away from killing himself, and Paul and Silas made their appearance and shared the good news. And now the jailer is a brother in Christ. 
Paul has told me that story over and over again. He loves that church. And after this gift that they sent, I see why. They had supported Paul from the very beginning. I tried to picture what Paul must have looked like before all the beatings, all the stonings. I tried to, re- to think about what he would look like before he accepted that mission in Damascus so long ago. I have my own share of scars to say the least, but not like Paul. But I can still hear his voice so clearly. Charlie. I'm writing this thank you letter to the saints in Philippi. They're a praying bunch. Is there anything I can tell them to pray for you? And I looked at him in his chains. And I saw Epaphroditus right there. And I saw the prison guard not too far away. I didn't care if the prison guard heard my request. Yes, Paul, I have a list. A very long list of prayer requests. Number one, get me out of here. That's my chief request. But if God will not do that, if an earthquake is not to come, I have some more. Paul, please tell the Philippians to pray for food to always be in full supply. I am tired of my stomach growling. I've lost so much weight. I am skin and bones. Make sure you tell them that, Paul. Please tell the Philippians to pray for these wounds to heal. I have a few infections and sores. These chains are rubbing into my skin. The weight is too much, Paul. I'm dehydrated. I have headaches. I have a fever at least once a week. I am weary of this situation. Paul, tell the Philippians to pray for my comfort. I can't sleep at night. This rock floor is too uncomfortable. The noises are too loud. The Roman soldiers changing posts with their clanging armor. I think they make noise on purpose. Rubbing salt in the wound for my imprisonment. And speaking of Roman soldiers, if you would, tell the Philippians to pray that they will experience great discomfort for all the misery that they're causing me. Pray that God would afflict them just like the cursing Psalms with sickness and that justice would be served. And tenfold to the authorities that put me in chains, all I did was preach the gospel and the Romans didn't like it. Paul, you remember... They thought we were starting a riot. They thought we were stirring things up. Now, I know there's no such thing as freedom of speech, but this punishment is overkill. I didn't even renounce Rome. I just preached the lordship of Jesus. And for this, I am in chains while the Roman authorities are sleeping in their beds at night in luxury and comfort and with their families. Pray that they will be haunted in their dreams for what they've done to me. Have the Philippians pray for vengeance. And Paul, one more request. Please tell the Philippians to pray for my wife and children that they will be taken care of since I cannot take care of them because I am in these chains. And then I heard Paul ask, Anything else, Charlie? 
To which I replied, no, Paul, that just about covers it. No more prayer requests, but you might encourage them to fast while they pray so they know what it's like to be hungry. Maybe that will motivate them to pray harder for my escape. I told Paul these things in full knowledge that he was not writing these down. And that these prayer requests would not make it into the letter. I could see the look of disappointment in his eyes as I gave these requests, but I didn't care. That's how I felt. And I knew not to say anything more. So I just listened. I listened to Paul's message to the Philippians. I turned my head away. I don't know if Paul was dictating to Epaphroditus or if he was simply writing and speaking at the same time. It didn't matter. I didn't want to look at Paul's face. I felt too much shame for my prayer request, especially when I heard Paul's prayer requests. At first I thought, maybe Paul would join me in my misery campaign. Maybe he would ask the church to pray for similar things that I had asked the church to pray over. And his opening request was promising. Well, it was more of a statement. But Paul quoted Job. Job 13, 16. And there's no better person to quote in prison than Job, the suffering one. The one who was innocent and blameless, but endured this incredibly intense trial. I know that passage well. Job was suffering in Job 13. He had invited his friends, or his friends came of their own accord, to comfort Job. And after a few conversations in Job 13, Job tells his friends, I wish you would just shut up. You were doing such a great job at comforting me whenever you were silent, and then you started to talk about this secret sin that I had. That's why I was suffering, and... Job knew better. All Job wanted was to be in court and to plead his case before God. He felt confident that he'd be vindicated, that God would deliver him, or the exact quote that Paul uses, this will be for my deliverance. God will deliver Job. So when Paul opens up with Job, this is going to be great. But then he says, it's through the prayers of the Philippians and God supplying the Spirit of Jesus Christ that will be for His deliverance, His salvation. And at first I thought He was talking about escape from prison. I was getting ready for the earthquake. I was getting ready for the chains to fall off. God was going to free us at last. But quickly I realized that Paul had something else in mind regarding his deliverance. For Paul, deliverance was about his vindication. That he would not be put to shame. Or that the gospel would not be put to shame. And his eager expectation and hope had a laser focus that Christ would be exalted. That Christ would be honored that Christ would be magnified, whether by life or death, in Paul's body. It's almost as if Paul had a death wish. I kind of think he did. 
And then he goes on in this message to wish for death because, well, being with Christ is better than going on in this world except for the mission. Paul thinks that God still has some work for him to do. For Paul, it was always first and foremost about the mission. It drove me crazy as his partner in the gospel. It drives me crazy now. And the reason why it drives me crazy is because I recognize that there's this huge gulf between Paul's mindset and my mindset, between the content of Paul's prayers and the content of my own prayers. I'm hyper-focused on my comfort, my healing, my needs, my circumstances. Paul is focused on the mission to honor Christ in his body, whether by life or death or prison or freedom. And then Paul invites the church to make a priority in their prayer life for the same thing, a kind of missional prayer. Ever since that day, I must admit, the content of my prayers have changed. When I pray for myself, when I ask others to pray for me, but especially when I pray for others, I continue to pray for freedom, deliverance, healing, restoration, justice, But thanks to Paul, all these prayer requests are secondary to the mission. Because Paul taught me in his chains that the ultimate goal is for Christ to be honored. And sometimes, and maybe even most of the time, Christ is best honored in weakness and in trial. And pain and suffering and being on the wrong end of injustice, prison. The mission trumps everything. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters that they will be vindicated in their trials. But more importantly, that Christ will be exalted in their bodies whether by life or by death. The mission of the coming kingdom and the hallowing of God's name has become my highest priority in prayer. So here we are. We come to God just as we are. We come with our failings. We come broken. But we come broken to be rescued, as the song says, which we are about to sing. But out of that brokenness and out of that rescue, we join in with the rescue mission. So that above all else, whether it's the church in Philippi or the people of God here at Brentwood Oaks, Christ will be exalted in our bodies 
and in the body, whether by life or by death. We have the invitation this morning to join in with that mission, that mindset, and maybe even the invitation to reorient our prayers around the highest priority, the thing that was the most important to Paul, the thing that is most important to the people of God, that God's mission will be accomplished and that His name will be glorified. If you'd like to respond to the good news of God working out good for the glory of His name for the people who love Him, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.